right, this morning, I am going to be doing the last message in a series on the letter of Colossians. And, and we haven't been going through that every single chapter. I've just been hopscotching around and picking different themes. So today we're going to close that one out. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, the overarching theme of Colossians is focus on Christ. That Christ is central to our faith. So we've talked about what it means for our faith, the faith that we have in God, to be a faith that has focus. And we've talked about how to find that focus. We've talked about distractions that come in the way of that focus and how to do that. Today, as we consider a few verses that come towards the end of Colossians, I want us to think about it in ways that maybe, as Paul closes his letter, just gives a few practical pieces of advice on how that focus works, nurtures, grows, that if, if we've gone through this series and, and if you've read the letter of Colossians and you think, okay, I get it, Paul. Yes, I see it. Christ is the focus of our faith. But how can I be better at that? How can I embrace that more? Maybe in those moments where that feels difficult, it, it feels difficult to keep that focus on Christ, are there some helpful things that can bring us in that direction and here in the closing of this letter, I think Paul gives us a few things towards that that help us keep that focus framed on Christ. So I'm going to be reading some of these verses, but this is going to be a little bit different today. So normally, if you're with me and, and we do a message, I, I will read the entire passage for the day and then give the message upon that. Today, I want us to break down and go through this one more verse-by-verse verse style and then move through it that way. So I'm not going to read the entire passage here at the front. We're just going to go a verse at a time through this. And uh, I'll have the verse on the screen that we're going through, but then also you have it printed in your bulletin so you can see all the verses there or open a Bible and look that up. It's from, I'm going to start with some verses from Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17, and then I'm going to take some verses right around the corner in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, all on this idea of how we keep Christ in focus and what that looks like. All right, so let me begin with this. The first verse that we get to, Colossians 3.15. Here's what Paul says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. So that's the first instruction that we see. The, the first instruction in these verses, you want, a you want a faith that keeps focus on Christ? Well, start with this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let me, I, I'm not going to change the words, but let me just flip the order of these words around a little bit. That maybe helps us dig into that one a little bit further. Let's say it this way. Let your heart be ruled by the peace of Christ. Same words, I just moved them around a little bit. Because here's what we're after in this instruction. A faith that focuses on Christ. It's not just that I'm an advocate for peace. Uh, it, it's not just that I'm a practitioner of peace. But it's that my heart is ruled by 
the peace of Christ. I, I think this instruction brings a question, a question that we should all ask ourselves. What is it that rules in my heart? Because if Paul gives an instruction, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, maybe the first place we need to go is back up one step and say, you know what? Take a moment and just ask yourself, what rules my heart? Calvin University philosophy professor Jamie Smith has an entire book on this, and the title of the book is You Are What You Love. And in that book, he argues and makes the case that, you know what? We all worship something. Our hearts are all ruled by something. So what is it? What is it that rules your heart? And then, once you identify that, whatever that may be, right, the, the career or the job or getting the promotion and the next step ahead or... I'm going to be the best that I can be on everything that I do. That those things, while they're admirable, right? These aren't bad things. But do they take the place of ruling in our hearts where that becomes the ultimate goal in life above all other things? To say, what can I let go of? What can I let go of? Not abandon. Right? We should still be people who try to do our best in school or our activities or our work or our relationships. But let go of just enough to say, the thing that's going to rule in my heart is the peace of Christ. Rule. Uh, that, that word in the Greek there, it, it has the idea of being controlled by or Maybe to think of another word that helps with that submission. That when I think of what it means to be a person of peace, that not just an advocate, not just a cheerleader for it, I submit to it. That my heart will be submissive to the peace of Christ. Peace, that, uh, that Hebrew word from the Old Testament, shalom, which means more than absence of conflict, but it means the flourishing and thriving of God's world, the way that he created it and intended for it to be, that my heart, your heart, would be ruled by, controlled by, that we would submit to the peace of Christ, a shalom, flourishing, and thriving of God's world, exactly as he created it, intended for it to be. That this becomes our Christ-centered focus in our faith. The peace of Christ. Move on from there to the next verse. Verse 16 says this, And also, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. And, and in that verse, you, you catch 
you catch the sense that Paul is talking about worship, singing and songs and hymns, that something happens when we have a life that worships God. Something comes within us in that worship. That we don't just lift up praise to God for who he is, but God himself, through the worship that we give to God, that God himself works something back in us, even through that. That we, in this moment then, respond to the gospel with overflowing worship, the message of Christ. A response that is overflowing. Um, I'm going to say that my lasagna recipe is a good one, a really good one, uh, because I've worked on it for a while. And all right, I know there was a service before that when I started talking about food, I left to the kitchen and made it. Sorry, I'm not making lasagna right here today. That will have to be another time. Uh, I make lasagna from scratch, which means I make my own pasta dough, my own noodles. And and I make that and roll them out, and, and so that it's, it's still uncooked. It, it's raw at that point. So it doesn't come out of a box. It's not been processed in a factory. I don't boil it in water, but I put those lasagna noodles, freshly made and still raw and uncooked, layered into that lasagna. And then, then what happens is the sauce and the cheese and the meat and everything else that goes in there all the juices from that ends up being, those are the things that are absorbed into those noodles and bake those noodles and flavor them. That these lasagna noodles, the noodles themselves, the pasta, take in all the flavor of everything around it because that's what it's been baked in as it's in the oven doing that. When we have this sense of overflowing with worship because the message of Christ is so grounded within us as a central part of our faith and who we are that it becomes a flavor of the gospel that is baked into us. Right? It becomes part of our flavor of who we are because it is so baked into who we are as God's people the message of Christ, that it dwells among you richly, that we take advantage of those opportunities that we have to let that gospel grace of God bake into us and become our flavor too. That it's not just a layer that's smeared on top of us, but it becomes part of us in who we are and in how we live. Next verse, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's where I think it's good for us to remember that in the Bible, names have meanings. I, I, we say that in church a lot. We do things in the name of Jesus. When I say a prayer, I always close the prayer that we pray in the name of Jesus. But it's good to remember that we do that because in the Bible, names mean something. So when we pray in the name of God or pray in the name of Jesus, we're focusing on what that name means. Jesus, 
the Greek word Jesus, or, or it's a transliteration of the Hebrew name, Joshua, same thing, just Greek and Hebrew. It literally means Savior, Redeemer, the one who saves, the one who redeems. That when we do everything in the name of Jesus, we are acknowledging that what we do as people, how we live, bends towards a God who saves, who redeems. And Christ, Christ being the Greek, the, the Hebrew there is Messiah, same thing, different language, but Christ or Messiah means anointed. Uh, we don't do anointing in the way that they did back then in our world today, but, but when someone was anointed in the times of the Bible, it means that they were set aside and appointed to a specific and holy task that was placed upon them and them alone. That Jesus, as the one who is anointed, is set aside and appointed by God to a task that's given to him and him alone. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who redeems. And Paul is saying here, you want to have a faith that is centered on Christ. Acknowledge that everything you do, everywhere you go, all the people you come in contact with. Jesus is the one who saves and redeems. It means this. It means then that people that I come in contact with throughout the week, that I look at those people and the first thought through my head ought to be, Jesus came to save this person, to redeem this person, to restore this person. Let my thoughts, let my actions, let everything that I do in interacting with that person be within that salvation and redemption and restoration of Christ. But we also read in the Bible that Jesus came so that the entire creation could be restored, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, that it is all restored and made new. So if you're the kind of person who works with your hands more than you work with people, you design things, you build things, you fix things, that you do that in a way that says, this is a creation that God came to restore and redeem and make new again. So may I, in the way that I work with my hands in this world, always be mindful that this is a world that God came to redeem to restore, to make new. I remember in my early years of, of being a youth pastor, um, one of the high school kids that was in my youth group who, to say he was a little bit of a rebel puts it mildly, and I, he was off the deep end. And as much as his parents tried to force him to come to youth group and, and be a part of what we were doing, it, it was marginally successful. And shame on me, I wrote him off. I said, this kid is lost. This kid is so far off the deep end, I don't think I can get through to him. That was years and years and years ago. Today he's married, has a family, belongs to a church, owns his own business, thrives in that, gives employment to others, does it honorably with integrity, because
because God saves, God redeems, God restores. And I had to learn the hard way. Don't write people off. Don't ever say that anyone is so far gone that God can't bring them back to redeem and restore and make new again. So everything we do, everything we say, every relationship that's there in front of us, we center upon that. In the name of Jesus, the one who saves, the one who restores, the one who's been appointed by God, the Father, to do that puts Christ at the center of our faith. Let me move on to chapter 4 because the, the instructions here keep coming. Chapter 4, verse 2, and I'm, I'm going to lump some together here because they're all under the theme of prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So an instruction that begins with the idea of being devoted to prayer. Now, I know prayer is a subject where we could say a whole lot of things. So this is not a comprehensive teaching on everything that prayer is. Let's just focus on what Paul says about prayer here in these verses. That it is a devotion to prayer that aligns my heart with God's heart. Right? A, a prayer that says, you know what, the gospel that came into my life, the gospel that transforms me as a person, let that be something that is so entrenched within me that it changes who I am so that my heart aligns with God's heart. What does it look like to have a prayer life like that? That Christ-centered devotion to prayer is the kind of prayer that changes the one who is doing the praying. That's a good reminder for us. Because often when we think about prayer, think what it means to pray, doesn't it seem like we bring our list of things to God that we want God to do? And how many of those things are things that we pray to God, God, would you do these things? And they're all focused on something outside of yourself. God, bring, bring healing. And God, change things so, so that work is a little bit easier for me. God, help me to be a better student in school. Or God, help my team to do well so that we can play well together. God, help my relationships to stay intact. And so often when we pray, we're praying for something else to change. God, change these circumstances. God, change this situation. But this is a reminder that prayer, really at its heart, prayer is a prayer that says, God, change me. Start with me. Show me where my heart needs to change so that I can be aligned with your heart. Let it start there. That a faith that is centered on Christ is a faith that comes before God and the first thing on that prayer list before God is, God, show me how I can be changed because we are constantly in that life of being sanctified, transformed, changed by what God has done for us. The Holy Spirit works that through the people of God that we are devoted to prayer 
in a way that changes, changes, first of all, us and our lives. And then, the last thing, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'm going to take those things together, even though it looks like those might be two separate instructions, but the way that the Greek pulls that all through, that those are really tied together. That the way we be wise and act towards others, the, wa- the, the way that wisdom comes to us is by letting your conversation be always full of grace. So we think of conversations that are full of grace and what that looks like. All right, so I've mentioned before that um, I'm a bit of a Colorado Rockies baseball fan. So when it's baseball season, that's that's the game that I will have on. And in fact, I do that to the point where on my television at home, I've got it set so that during the summertime, because more times than not, in the summer when I turn on my television, I'm turning it on to watch a Rockies baseball game. I've got it set to where when I turn the power onto my television, it goes there first. I reset the defaults. Uh, You know what a default is, right? Uh, The default is what happens automatically when you turn something on, whatever the default settings are. So I've I've got one of those TVs that has a bunch of different apps and channels that you can go to. And during the summer, I reset the default so that when I turn on the television, it turns on MLB Network and turns on the Rockies broadcast through the MLB Network first. It goes there first because chances are that's what I'm turning on the television to do. I set that to be the default. Here's what I think Paul is saying about this. He's saying, you know what, a Christ-centered faith has grace as its default setting. It's what automatically happens first. It's what comes on first. That grace becomes our default setting. It's where we go first. So in every person that I encounter, the question that should always be asked is, what is the most gracious thing that I can do with this person? What is the most gracious thing that I can say to this person and with this person? That grace becomes the default, the go-to, the first thing, not the afterthought, not the last, not somewhere down the line, but I lead in with that, that it becomes the first thing. This is one that Paul intentionally mentions outsiders, people who are pushed to the margins, people who feel like they don't have a space and don't belong and God could never take them. That our interactions with those people always lead in with grace first as the default. That they would see that. 
Now, let me close with this. Uh, let's look at the one feature that's woven through all these things as I read through them. One feature that you see taking place in all of these is thanksgiving. That in all of these instructions that come here about how to have a Christ-centered faith, did you notice how thanksgiving pops its way into that? That first instruction, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. That gratitude helps focus on having Christ in the center. That we let the message of Christ dwell among you richly with gratitude in your hearts. That being thankful is at the center of this. That whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. And that you devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So we head into this week of Thanksgiving with a reminder then that Thanksgiving is not something we do just one week. It's not just one holiday that we set aside one time a year to be thankful. But it's woven into a Christ-centered, focused faith. It reminds us that all these instructions, right, these instructions that Paul gives, that, that this shouldn't be seen as this overwhelming list of, oh, look at all these things I have to do to have a faith that focuses on God. No, these are all gifts. They are gifts given by God, and our response of this is a response not of, here's the things I have to do, but it's a response of thanks, thanksgiving, gratitude. God, thank you for the peace of Christ that comes upon us. God, thank you for the message of Christ that dwells within me. God, thank you that you are the one who saves and redeems and restores so that everything I do can be done in your name. God, thank you that when I pray that you change my heart, that we give thanks to God for what he does and continues to do as we have a faith that is centered on him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the reminder we see there that uh, you are at the heart of our faith. Lord, may it be for us then that we approach that recognizing the ways in which faith is not just a task to accomplish, not just something to embrace in our hearts, but it centers on you and that it is a gift from you and that we are held by you within that. So Lord, may we respond with gratitude in ways that offer ourselves to you, that you would take our lives and do what you would do with it, but may that be something we do not in a spirit of obligation, but in a spirit of gratitude for what you've done for us.